Welcome to the Dustin Eric Podcast Show, brought to you by Post Networks. Hi, I'm Dustin. I'm Eric. And we're you coming, know us. We're coming to you from the uh, China Poblano in the Cosmopolitan here in Las Vegas. We've got Greg Macy and Scott Buddy from uh, CompSearch. So, guys, why don't you tell us a little bit about what CompSearch does and what you guys work for all these guys here in the, uh, the China Poblano. Where, where are you coming in from? What state are you, where are you well, from? Well, two different states. Uh, Scott's coming in from California and I'm coming in from Virginia so Virginia yeah one side is US and the other side of the US pretty much that's right I try to get away as far away from him as I could and <laughs> we got to get you a 2800 mile link yeah so come so com search um, we're about 110 employees strong and what we do is microwave frequency coordination and FCC licensing okay. uh, we're also involved with CBRS and we're building a SAS and uh, we also do a lot of uh, work with path surveys and all sorts of other businesses uh, within our organization. Scott's one of my engineers, and uh, you've been with the company how long? Three years, and then a year off, and then another nine and a half years, coming up on 10. So, so and I've been with the company 28 years. Oh, boy. So you so, guys are coast to coast. <laughs> so you yeah. work together coast to coast? Yeah, once, once you go to ComSearch, you never leave. <laughs> It's a about, blessing and a curse. About you know? nine years ago, we found the internet. We found that you could work in different locations. So they, they let me. Uh, there's a longer story to that, but I'll, I'll save you. But Thank goodness for the yeah. <laughs> internet. And so you guys help uh, find uh, open frequencies for people to use with uh, licensed radios. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the best practices on uh, frequency selection, if you guys can. Okay, so we do uh, frequency selection. The whole way is down as low as... 900 megahertz the whole way up to 80 gigahertz and um, the core bands that we work in the most are 6.1, 6.7, 11, 18 and 23 gig and some of the best practices uh, basically every job that comes through to ComSearch it goes through a three-step QA process where we make sure that it's compliant against all FCC roles we make sure that if you're if we detect that you may be on a registered tower we let you know that. And then also, uh, if we think there's an existing call sign for your system, we let you know that. Because our goal, being the biggest coordinator, is we're trying to create a customer experience where essentially we solve any of the problems that you might have early in the process rather than waiting for it to get further down the road at FCC licensing. And you're at 6.1 already. You're in there. So oh, yeah. And we're ready for you. If you have, we've, I think we've got a few things for you. Yeah. Here we go. You're coming so, after it. I know Mimosa has 11 gig band, and I know it's it's pretty saturated in a lot of areas. So how do you guys help squeeze out additional spectrum in, like, say, the 11 gig band? Actually, Scott and I were talking earlier, and he had a very good example of a particular network that we came upon uh, where it wasn't that the network was done incorrectly, but it kind of uh, organically grew a little bit over time, and it grew in such a way that you kind of hit a brick wall where there weren't any solutions. And Scott, I'll let you talk how you fixed or remedied the situation. Sure. So it's you know it's it's enticing to try to, to build your network little by little. That's the way a business grows. That's the way a network grows. The problem is when you are coordinating frequencies in a in a small area like most Whisper doing. Uh, you're not always thinking about all the growth that's going to happen, and that with a limited number of frequencies, especially with the wider band or wider frequencies that we're using with Mimosa and other Wisps, uh, there's only six frequencies to choose from. 
And so if you're doing six or seven or eight paths in a small area, you might prefer to have a, a, a wider view of what your network is going to look like, and then you can make better decisions from the beginning. So sometimes, so the point that, he, that Greg is making is that sometimes it's better to, even though you've already gotten a third of the way through your network, to kind of erase what you did, back out, and re-coordinate and find better frequencies. Uh, even if there's a little bit of a cost to go and redo some of your work, you then get available spectrum across your whole network, which is the end goal. So, so that's what we did in that and case. I'm sure you were able to re-farm a lot of the same frequencies, but right, so maybe probably just the, in different implementations. Right, so probably the physical radios didn't need to be replaced. They just need to be moved around, but we found a way to, to reorganize that, that particular network. So that's one example. So I know you... Oh, Go ahead. Okay. No, no. So, uh, Scott, you're in California. Uh, where in California? I'm in San Diego. Oh, in San Diego. Okay. Yep, yep. So we're NorCal and you're South Cal. Sorry. We can't be friends anymore. <laughs> Sorry. We're a classic uh, coordinator. What can I say? So I know you guys have tons of customers. How do you deal with people who are transmitting illegally? How Do you, do you guys deal with that? Um, well, we have encountered it before. We have a field team, and uh, they, they go out, and uh, they'll... they'll you know, we'll have a customer that has some sort of un unexplained interference. And so occasionally this has happened where they'll find a rogue interferer. Um, we try to stay, you, you know, out of the eyes of the FCC in terms of reporting right. customers because, you know, these same, uh, you, you know, people are our customer base. So what we do is we reach out to them and we let them know about the situation and kind of prove to them that, uh, you, you know that they have something that's not licensed, but more often than not, it's it's not intentional. Right. And uh, they they either have something that they forgot the license, mm -hmm. or it's on the wrong frequency, the wrong polarization, or the high low is flipped. I've seen it in, anywhere from the smallest of companies to the largest of companies. It's just a you know something that happens within our business. Right. So when you see something like that, where, where do you go next? What do you? Well, we reach out to the offender directly. Yeah, that's the first step. That's yep. the first step. So you're looking at uh, you're looking at uh, uh, links, say uh, 10, 11 gigs. You're looking at polarities. Uh, you're looking at uh, well, you're looking at everything that's uh, uh, say uh, uh, licensed there. Right. Well, anything that yeah. you can yeah, anything out of the ordinary. Yeah. Typically, what they'll do is they'll go out and put it what the, what you call spec antenna, and you'll do a sweep and you'll measure signals and you'll yeah. triangulate on the interference and then. Uh, and then you start start looking, and, and a lot of times you can figure out who it is. Even what do you use it for uh, equipment? General uh, spec H, spec ends and HP or yeah, that's not really my particular department, but, but uh, that's what they're doing. They're looking yeah. at they're looking at that primary uh, uh, fundamental frequencies and, and uh, peaks uh, amplitude peaks, and then they're looking at right. side loads. So they and spin from side to side until you hit the peak, and like and then, okay, that frequency that. It's the same. This co-channel yeah. is coming in at uh, 147 degrees azimuth. Right. Let's head that way and see if we oh, can find yeah. it. So, all right. so yeah. you guys deal with the FCC all the time. So we do. We visited them actually uh, two weeks ago. We went. We actually went up to see them. Um, we try to visit them like about every one or two years. It's more of a goodwill visit. Uh, we do a lot of FCC licensing, so we want to you know you know basically have a good working relationship with them. Are you taking uh, a snapshots, files, of, of uh, screen captures of, of signals that you see and logging that stuff and you take it to, to take, you get it into Gettysburg or, or wherever and you're no, right there in, yeah. or 
we, we don't do that sort of thing. We don't do like enforcement and re report oh, it to the I FCC, see. but okay. we just, uh, as a matter of our business, we, yeah. we work with the FCC very closely on a day-to-day -day basis. So because you guys are working with the FCC all the time, what kind of regulatory pitfalls uh, can you talk about that might, you know, slow down coordination processes for customers? Well, one of the biggest things that I see, um, I mean, occasionally you'll have someone that tries to file for a license without doing coordination, but the big one that I see is that somebody gets the whole way through the process, mm -hmm. they get a license, and then they forget to do their build-out notice. If you do that and you pass the time frames, you're going to have to start all over. They're getting ready to do uh, uh, pop, uh, put some equipment on a tower. Or have they, yeah, they're, 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 they're already up and operating. They're, and they're so operating, yeah. When you have a license terminate like that, by letter of the law, you're supposed to turn down the system. And so if you terminate, your license is no longer good. It's like starting all over. You can't go and like push a button and resubmit the applications. You've got to go through the coordination process again. Right. Hope that nobody has taken advantage of the situation and stolen your frequency. Uh, we see that occasionally. You have people sitting out there on the fringes because it's a mountaintop in California. There's very little spectrum available, and somebody forgets to do that part, and somebody's like, huh. Well, that's mm -hmm. mine now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, pretty now busy. So. it's pretty busy out and take California. It's busy out there. It is. If you look out for my house, if you look west, you just see all the mountains. And I, I asked my wife what they're all named because she's from that area. But uh, all I do is I see the microwave towers on top. But yeah. But yeah, in those cases, I mean, once you're licensed, you're able to operate. So they are legal to operate at first. But in some of those cases, they just forget to, like Greg said, on the build-out date, com uh, file the completion of construction. And then at that point, you were legally operating for a while, right? And then you now are not. If if it gets to that point, so that's okay. one pitfall. But any uh, expired licenses? So they're they're going past their uh, license expiration. Not not expired license, yeah, but when you haven't, no. the last step of licensing is the file completion of construction when you actually build your link, yeah. and you have 18 months to do that from the the license grant date. Maybe you got to refile or to, to file that completion of yeah, construction, it's just and so that yeah. you actually built the network because sometimes people get the license and then don't build the network. Okay. So you're certifying because you're getting this license for a 10-year period and they want to make sure that you've actually built it because the spectrum is a commodity Precious, that's yeah. in high demand. Yep. But there are some other licensing pitfalls that we don't run into a lot and we Greg talked about this today when he ran the microwave training. Uh, the FCC has many, what is it, thousands of rules probably even within this section of work that we're working in. And so we've developed a, a tool called a warnings document that tries to flag every potential violation of a, war, of, a, of a rule. And there's just too many for any one engineer to think about at any one time. And usually you don't violate any of these rules if you just, just do what you want to do. But occasionally, oh, you're within a, a, a certain distance of a border or, or any number of other things uh, that you did wrong or you didn't realize you were using the wrong size antenna on the wrong length path and the right the wrong band. Yep. and. So it's good to have quality assurance. And Greg mentioned some of the quality assurance tools we have, like a warnings document that catches any potential violation of a rule. Uh, and sometimes they're not actually violating. It's a potential violation, so we have to look at it. Uh, but also, you need to, if you're on a tower that needs to be registered, you have to have that ASR number on the, on the license. Um, if, you're, if you want to use an existing call sign, you have to be within the tolerance of that call sign, the coordinates, the ground elevation. There's just so many things that it's, 
it's too hard manually to keep track of, so we, we try to develop our software over time to catch as many of these as possible. Right. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, Thank you. Guys, if you need any kind of 11 gig uh, help or 6 gig or any of those other frequencies, Feel free to talk to these guys, and I'm sure they'll be more than willing to help you out. So, Greg and Scott, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you very much for having us. It's been All a right. pleasure, thank guys. You. Appreciate and it. We'll see you guys. Great to meet you. Great talking to you. Next time Thanks. on the next Thanks. podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please hit the subscribe or follow button to stay up to date with our latest podcast, which will be available on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. 